Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 794. I thought this would scare her away, but after only a moment's hesitation, she nodded. I thought of the only edemic poetry I had heard, a few snippets from the old silk spinner and the piece from the story Shaheen had told about the archer. It wasn't much to go on. I thought of the words I knew, the sounds of them. I felt the absence of my lute sharply here. This is why we have music, after all. Words cannot always do the work we need them to. Music is there for when words fail us. Finally, I looked around nervously, glad there were only a scattered handful of people left in the dining hall. I leaned toward her and said, Double-weaponed penthe, no sword in hand. Her flower mouth curves and cuts a heart a dozen steps away. She gave the smile again, and it was just as I said. I felt the sharpness of it in my chest. Florian had had a beautiful smile, but it was old and knowing. Penthe's smile was bright as a new penny. It was like cool water on my dry, tired heart. The sweet smile of a young woman. There is nothing better in the world. It is worth more than salt. Something in us sickens and dies without it. I am sure of this. Such a simple thing. How strange. How wonderful and strange. Penthe closed her eyes for a moment, her mouth moving silently as she chose the words of her own poem. Then she opened her eyes and spoke in a Turin. Burning as a branch, Quoth speaks, but the mouth that threatens boots reveals a dancing bear. I smiled wide enough to make my face hurt. It is lovely, I said honestly. It is the first poem anyone has ever made for me. After my conversation with Penthe, I felt considerably better. It was uncertain as to whether or not we had been flirting, but that hardly mattered. It was enough for me to know there was at least one person in heart who didn't want me dead. I walked to Vachette's house, as I usually did after meals. Half of me hoped she would greet me, smiling and sarcastic. The morning's unpleasantness put at the end of the page. My name is Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Now, listeners, you may recall that before our break, Jordana made a promise. Jordana pledged to write a song for you when you came back, and she thought we forgot. But, listeners, we do not forget, and we do not forgive. We held Jordana to her promise, and she has written a song, and she will perform it for us right now. Okay. I need to compose myself. Okay. I got it. I wrote it. It's great. 
This is our podcast, our only podcast. We bring you crack pots not made of clay. You are our listeners, for that we love you. Please listen to us once a day. <laughs> we should make that the new theme song. No! Yeah, oh no, my god, I'm, no. I'm clipping that. Definitely clipping that. That's definitely one into the soundboard. The blackmail box? Yeah, that's going into the soundboard alongside your evil laugh. <laughs> But that, that was, was lovely. Truly lovely. Really sweet. Yeah. Thank you for that. You have a surprisingly good voice. You have a lovely singing you voice never, when you choose to use yeah. it. Yeah. This one time, I was in a choir as a kid, but they gave me a different color shirt because everybody was given shirts based on uh, like whether they were alto or soprano or whatever. And I got a turquoise shirt, and like everybody else was wearing like a red shirt or a white shirt or a yellow shirt or a purple shirt. Um, and the reason that I got the turquoise shirt was because I had a voice like Patty and Selma as a child because of my asthma. (laughs) 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 And so they used me for very specific things. (laughs) Sort of a Macy Gray. Yeah, so like a, like a Janis Joplin, like growl. (laughs) I also, it was, I was very quiet. So I think they were just like, it's okay. The weird growly child is, is quiet. So we'll just let her be in the choir. Well, talk, but I learned a lot. Talking of compositions, both of their poems are really wonderful, uh, and like close at least is quite flirty. I think it's possible that I don't get poetry. Did I read them wrong? They no. don't. I feel like they should rhyme or something. I don't know. I don't know. Lots uh, of poems don't rhyme. Okay, think other of than like a haiku. No, I was gonna. I knew you were gonna bring up haiku. Haikus are different. Do you know what free verse is? No. Okay, that's basically all anybody's written in terms of poetry since like the 19th century. I mean, I have a book of poetry, and it's not that I don't like it. I just never understand what the what the cadence is meant to be. Mm. I mean, that can be tricky if you don't have someone reading it to you. Poetry is often still meant to be read aloud, right? But like. There's lots of poetry that doesn't rhyme. Yeah, even contemporary free verse poetry doesn't necessarily have a like the cadence is what is put together by the combination of words. Mm -hmm. But it's like in in these poems, the meaning like part of how you derive meaning from it is where the lines break, right? Because like like where it goes from one line to the next line, which doesn't always like have anything to do with the grammar of the poem at all. Like it's. It's almost like, in at least in Quoth's poem, each line is an image, right? Like, double-weaponed penthe, no sword in hand, her flower mouth curves and cuts a heart a dozen steps away. So e- there's a lot of meaning to derive from each of those images and, and in putting those images together. Double-weaponed penthe, I'm picturing a girl with two swords. But the next line is, no sword in hand. So what are her weapons? Her smile? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. I think it's her smile and her eyes. The okay. two things that Quoth has found really arresting about her. But there's space for you to, to yeah, decide but, that. But, yeah, the ambiguity is part of the art of the poem, right? Her flower mouth curves, the smile that he's been talking about this whole time, and cuts a heart a dozen steps away. He's like, all of this is a flowery way of saying like she's got a killer smile that will break people's hearts. Yeah. What she makes a mouth a... perfect for smiling? Like That's the thing you say you. when you're flirting. Yeah. Okay, but okay, fine. So what, it's a person to person thing. What does make a mouth perfect for smiling? Well, I was thinking a mouth I, I okay, so I'm a process of elimination person. So I was thinking, okay, what is the least perfect mouth for smiling? And I would say like someone who has very, very thin lips because it would be like uh like I feel like uh it, you don't want to have too much lip, but you don't want to have too little lip either. Like you need the right amount of lip. 
And I feel like if you had both, both your bottom lip and your top lip were very, very thin, your smiles might seem more creepy than cute. <laughs> what if you're smiling with your teeth exposed? Oh, no, I hadn't thought of that. Mm, no, it's still a little weird. Okay, but... Although like, I've never actually seen someone with lips so small that you, like... That, like, I can't, I've never seen someone with a smile like the thing I'm thinking of. I don't know if it exists. <laughs> anyway. Are we going to examine Quoth's poem? We can, sure. Burning... You mean the poem about Quoth? Yeah, yeah. No, the, the... Yes, yes, the poem about Quoth. Burning as a branch, Quoth speaks, but the mouth that threatens boots reveals a dancing bear. Now, this one, I think I have a little more trouble with. Uh, sorry, you guys have, like, activated my trap card. This is, like, a large part of my university life. Was, like, I know. That's why I'm enjoying you doing it, you being a TA here. Mm. So, Especially like, because you had nothing but a scorn for... I do. I resent... <laughs> well, I, I think that in breaking breaking it apart like this, it kind of ruins the magic of a poem. Um, but you have to you have to know how to think about it in order to be able to, like think about it you know like the I, purpose of academia is not just to like read cool things it's to learn how to think about them yeah that's why i don't like academia you should just read cool things um but then you might have wrong opinions about them but here's the thing the thing that i resented was i was there to learn how to write good and what i was being taught in large part the classes that were how to write good we were analyzing things like okay what makes this sentence a good rich description what makes this character compelling how is the author communicating this the kind of person this is to us that's the kind of analysis i like what i don't like is like what is the you know what is this author saying about you know modernity what is this what is the thought what is the like the marxist leninist reading of this text jeremy have you invented a guy to get mad at no that's, that's very first like the very one of the very first classes I took in school was like introduction to critical theory, which was just here's Macbeth. We're going to see what six different academic points of view have to say about Macbeth, and I don't care about any of them because none of them were fucking alive in the 1600s. None of them were Shakespeare, so I don't give a shit. I, mean, I don't care what some Marxist thinks about Macbeth. Shakespeare didn't care, so I don't care. I would, anyway, I would posit that at the one on one level, you have to introduce the idea that there are different points of view. But why do I care about other people's points of view? Jeremy. In order to uh, develop your own points of view, you have to understand. Anyway, we. Yeah. You, it occurs to you that you are on a podcast where you consistently come up against two other people's points of view. Anyway, burning is a branch. He's got the right here. The first line of the. Yeah, but do we think that this is the origin of Maedra? Because what is burning? What is a burning branch in Edenic? I don't think it's the origin, but I think that because there is. Uh, continuity here that like she sees him to some degree in the way that like because Maedra of course one of the pronunciations is the the flame the flame the thunder the, thunder, the broken tree um, and a, a piece of a broken tree would be a branch yeah so I'm, I'm not saying that like they consulted Pentheus and said hey what do you think he's like I think that this is her kind of seeing him oh maybe she does the thing that he does when he's in the when he's in that like flow state Yes. She's doing the that Maybe thing. she is, like, naming in a way. Well, yeah, we're, we're going to get to that. that that's, I mean, uh, I kind of think that they did maybe ask her what she thought of him before they gave him his name. Yeah, she's a pretty high-ranking member of the society, so why not? Maybe. I, I find it hard to swallow that they would just, like, take a survey and then amalgamate everyone's descriptions of him into their secret name. But I think that that is, like... An oversimplification of the process, but I, I do feel like they might do something like that. Yeah, I think a community naming a person—it's magic. Really a wizard nice. did it. A wizard named oh, him. Oh, Nick. 
<laughs> Shameful. <laughs> Burning as a branch, Quoth speaks. So it's not just about his hair. It's about like his rhetoric. It's about the force of his charisma. It's about his way with words. And but also the, how that reveals him to be silly. Well, but... Well, kind of, because that's the, that's the summation of the poem. The mouth that threatens boots. That's the line that trips me up. I'm not quite sure what she means by that. Because he said, think? I would, in your language, I would be stomping around wearing big boots or something like that. On a previous page, he says, like, I feel like I'm, I'm a, a huge man. Like, when I speak your language, I feel like I'm a huge man wearing boots or something like that. That's one of the first things he says to her. You're right. I feel I am a great bear of a man stomping around in heavy boots. Yep, and then reveals the dancing bear. Mm-hmm. I know you're being T.A. Jeremy, so I'll let you lead in, but I have a read on that. No, 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 go. Uh, well, sir, uh, senpai, uh, I, I'm i inclined to think that, like, this is saying that even though, you know, I think it's, it's sort of a, a play on him referring to himself as a bear, a reference to the fact that he is still a bear in the language, but there's, like, a sweetness, a lightness... A, a play to his words. He is a, a dancing kind of art bear. to it. In his own yeah. way, he's beautiful. Or even a silliness, as you yeah. said, Jordana. Yeah. And uh, if I may piggyback on the comment from the chat, uh, I do think this sounds a bit like the way that he speaks about Denna, especially the word lovely. For whatever reason, the word lovely always reminds me of Denna. I think because that comes up in one of the scenes with her hair, that word. Um, and so because he describes her poem as lovely, it reminds me of Denna and the way that he talks about this and like this and the, the, the poetry game they play reminds me a bit of the way that he and Denna flirt. Mm, yeah. And I do think it is telling that on like, we were kind of talking about this in the previous page that like they're being a little flirty here. And I do think that it is apropos that Quoth is like, I wasn't quite sure if we were flirting or not, but it didn't really matter. And like that, Feels very, very... Uh, oh, yeah, because 99% of the flirting, the flirtation I did was like, were we flirting or was that just like a nice conversation? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't matter, right? Like if you're just like talking to someone at a bar or like, you know, in a someone that you don't really have any intention of dating, you're ne- maybe never going to see them again, but you're just like making conversation and it becomes this kind of flirtatious thing. Like that's fun in and of itself sometimes. And sometimes you go, come away from thinking like, were we flirting or not? Eh, that was still a nice conversation. Doesn't super matter. Reasonable. Mm-hmm. I think that someone who was inclined to read this book in bad faith could take issue with the way that Quoth talks about the sweet smile of a young woman. I think that someone who was going to read this book in bad faith might point to that as like Quoth doesn't think of women as people. He thinks of them as like objects or stand-ins. Jordana, you feel like you I, want to jump I in I have here. a thing because as I was reading that bit, I was like, I, I, the, the, the dark and mean side of me <laughs> had a had a thought, and I I disliked it. Um, but it was that uh, there's one sentence, and I'm not sure if this would be the right way to like describe it, but it felt a little incelly. Um, Something in us sickens and dies without it. Yeah, it's like why do you why do you need a lady to smile at you to be happy? It's weird, man. Like <laughs> this, this is a bit boomery. Like this this is sort of this reminds me of like old man opinion. I mean. You could say that Quoth is an old man. That's what I'm getting frame. at, is that I think this is commentary oh, also, being can... inserted by by future Quoth. This is commentary being inserted by, like, old, bitter, present-day, innkeeper Quoth. Uh, okay, Jordana, you... Is, that, is this also why 
he calls Penthe a young woman, even though she's older than him, because that drives me insane. But she is a young woman. I, I fair, fair, fine. But he, it's weird, it's weird. Also, to narrator Quoth, he's older than she was. Yes, narrator Quoth is, is older than Penthe is, but... And he has to place her as not a teenager, but, like, not... Not, like, I don't know, not like, fully grown. Would I, I, as a 15-year-old, describing someone who was 20, have been out of pocket to describe them as a young woman? I suppose not, but definitely, like, as a 15-year-old, I thought of people who were 20 and up as ladies. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever thought of anybody as a lady. Oh, yeah, okay. in a movie. But, Joanna, let's get back to your comment about how it's incelly. I think you're... You know, as the, the token lady on this show, I feel like your opinion is sort of the most... We should be taking our, our marching orders from you on this one. I mean, I, I as much as, like, that's very flattering, um, but also I don't I don't want to put myself in the position that is, like, I think the things all women think because that's yes, not true. Yes, and I don't think either of us want to put you in that position either. <laughs> Hashtag not all women are Jordana. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I'm not saying they are, but I am saying that, like... You know, as much as we take up a lot of space on the show with our various opinions, I, mm-hmm. I we value your perspective. Is Thank what you. Saying. I appreciate that, and and while I think that that sentence is a standalone thing, much like okay, this is the issue with people who take issue with the book is they're not taking it in context, and yes. that sentence out of context is in Selly. It's like it's super weird to think that you need a lady to smile at you to be happy, um, because you don't. <laughs> like yeah. sure, it's nice to have literally anyone smile at you, unless it's creepy. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but like, t- but, like take it at face value. I think what what we should be doing, or you know, what Rothfuss wants us to do, is kind of take this at face value and not read into it all the context of the other like entitled maleness that has arisen in the time since this book was was written. And just sort of say, like, it's sweet to be smiled at by a young woman, and especially and when you're, like, your low of the yeah. soul. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter if it's, like, romantic. Like, I have been out in the world minding my own business and seen, you know, a young woman on her own or with her friends or with her sweetie, you know, a group of teenagers having fun, whatever. And seeing them having a good time has brightened my day. I think the kind of, like, quote-unquote boomerang thing that Nick was identifying is wistfulness, is nostalgia. It's the kind of, like, a little bit melancholy, like, longing that seeing someone who is young and happy and has their whole life ahead of them can evoke. I think that is what Quoth is getting at. I also think that, like, this is maybe a product of its time sort of sentence, because you could write this same sentence the way that it is, it was, I think, meant to be now, but you would write it ungendered. Like, I don't think you would write it as a young woman's smile. I think you would write it as a young person's smile. I think you'd... Or just, like, a person's yeah, smile. Yeah, I, I, well, what, what I was about to say, I think Jordana scooped me a little bit, is that <laughs> it's become harder and harder to write this kind of sentence or to take it at face value since the book was written because so much of this language has been co-opted by these bad actors. Yeah, but also, I mean, first of all, that's why we shouldn't do critical theory because it just makes it not impossible to enjoy anything. Welcome but, to the podcast. <laughs> but second of all, like, something in you does sicken and die if you live in a world where there's no youthful hope and joy, even by proximity. Like, I think that, you know, going back to the boomer thing, if you're like an old man in the twilight of your life, I think that like seeing young people out and enjoying their lives and like having fun and having their lives ahead of them is going to bring you some kind of like wistful, nostalgic, maybe a little painful 
joy. And if you don't have that in your life, because you live in a world where like young people don't have any hope because the scrail are rampant and there's a war happening, maybe you are sickening and dying a little bit. Maybe, maybe that is curdling you. I don't think that it, I don't think that you must read this as the, I can't get no bitches, so I'm going to go crazy and shoot up a school. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that, like, the, the 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 dark side of me that reads this book with the same brain that the people who don't like it read it does that thing. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that, again, I think all of our reads here are valid because the context has changed since this book was written. And it's become much harder to divorce this kind of language from that context. For you. For me, yes. <laughs> also, uh, this was page 94, and I provided you with a reasonable pause to go 94, but you didn't. Well, thank you for th- picking up the slack, Jordana. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was 194, but there was a 94 in the numbers, what I'm saying. Anyway, sorry. Mailbag. Oh, what you told us is true from a certain point of view. <laughs> This letter is from our friend Curtis, who writes her equal only once. Hello, Triumvirate. On page 632, you discussed the comment made by Quoth that he met Valurian's equal only once. You wondered who that equal would be. Well, I think that solution is Gilderoy Lockhart voice. Pretty obvious. I don't know how to do that that voice. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh, but he does all kinds of voices. Pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. All right, fine. Uh, That was a better... Kenneth Branagh than mine. I have a cold, so. We all know that one of the three defining features of an equivalence relation, which equality is, is reflexivity. Valurian is her own equal, and Quoth met her. Thus, if he is telling the truth, then the only being equal to her in the relevant regards such that he met them is her. QED. Easy. Signed, Curtis. That seems like a fallacy to me, but I don't know enough about logic to refute it. This is the difference between STEM brain and and humanity's major brain. This is why we need a STEM person on this podcast to keep us in line when it comes to uh, these these logical runarounds. Um, yeah, I cannot refute it, Curtis, but by all means, write us again and try to explain it to us. QE indeed. And we'll... No, I'm going to say we'll Q to the E. What does QE stand for? Uh, well, that's what I was going to ask. I wonder if STEM majors know well, quad erat good demonstrandum. I don't know that. It means thus it is proven. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll prove that it's the end of the page right now. And you'll see us tomorrow on another page. Of the wind. Whee!